All right, welcome back to the Bad Movie Journalist Podcast, where we celebrate the wonder of mediocre art. I'm Christian, certified pyramid head. And I'm Connor, certified, I was torn between square head or weird large cockroach, Christian. Which did you think was the better option? Dude, you can't, you can't beat square head. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's a... Uh... Square head is a tough one. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's uh, that might be taken. So I'll go with uh, I'm Connor, certified weird large cockroach with a face, which you'll get if you watched this upcoming movie. Christian, my friend, welcome back. We're back, and it is officially or close to, depending on your preference, spooky season. It is spooky season right now. Uh, currently, I I consider spooky season to be pretty much from my birthday at the end of August to November first. As far as I'm concerned. All of September is also spooky month. Yes, I do base this on the amount of time that Halloween Horror Nights runs for, but that's just me. No, I think that's fair. Um, Especially because, you know, without giving away locations, we live in a climate that is slightly um, averse to the fall weather. So we can basically just make uh, spooky season, holiday season, whatever we want. We could start in April, really, if we wanted. I mean, you know, it's like one of my favorite... YouTubers Danny Gonzalez says in his song, Spooky Boy, fake spooky dudes only spooky for a month, real spooky dudes spooky all year round. This is an unequivocal fact, and Christian, it's a good thing that it's spooky season, because we just watched Silent Hill. So let me give you a quick run-through of some background on Silent Hill, my friend. This movie came out in 2006. It is a psychological horror film directed by Christoph Gans. Written by Gans, Roger Avery, and Nicholas Bukif, and it stars Rada Mitchell, Sean Bean, hello our old friend Sean Bean, Laurie Holden, um, who you may recognize as Andrea from The Walking Dead, Deborah Kara Unger, Kim Coates, Tanya Allen, Alice Krieg, and Jodel Ferrand in the main cast. Um, this is an adaptation of Konami's, and I can't stress this enough, excellent, genre-defining, paradigm-shifting 1999 video game Silent Hill. Christian, have you played the Silent Hill video game? I'm assuming you have. I have. uh, Surprisingly, I'm not as well-versed in the games as you would imagine, which is kind of a big faux pas on my part, but I think I've played at least one of them. I think there was one for the PSP when the PSP was a thing, but other than that, surprisingly, I actually haven't played any of them. Have you? Oh, man, yeah. Silent Hill is like one of the defining games of, of my childhood. Um, and it's the reason we have mo- modern horror games the way the way that we do. And, you know, I'm sure we'll dive into this at some point. But the things that they did in that game are just, you know, it wouldn't be a good game playing it in 2020. But it is a, a revolutionary game that came out in 1999. Um, but Silent Hill, the movie, grossed about... 100 million, you know, 100.6 million total gate. Its budget was around 50 million, so pretty much considered a success and was successful enough to garner a sequel, which was Silent Hill Revelation. That movie is awful. It flopped tremendously and earned a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, which got me to thinking, have you, can you off the top of your head, think of a sequel to a good bad movie similar to the ones we do here that was praised as better or even good as the original? Yes. I have two examples for this, actually. Specifically in the horror genre, actually. The first one I liked was, I believe it's called Annabelle Creation or Annabelle Origins, and it's a prequel to Annabelle, which is, of course, 
a spinoff of The Conjuring, but in Animal Creation, it goes back to how the doll was actually first made, and I actually really liked it. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Another instance of this that is pretty widely regarded as this situation happening is that if you remember a few years ago, an awful movie came out called Ouija, which was about the Ouija board, and then it, it, it was widely panned, but it had a sequel that audiences loved that was way better received than that. So that's one of the few times I can think of that that has happened, but it has happened. Oh, that's that's a good, those are two really good examples. The, the reason I asked that question is because I, I don't understand studios sometimes when, when movies come out and like they get like tepid response and they're like, double down, let's give them another one exactly the same. Actually, let's make it worse. Um, and Silent Hill Revelation is just one of the worst movies I've ever, ever seen. Okay, so you have seen it? Yeah, I have seen Revelation. It's uh, really, really bad. <laughs> it's disturbing. We've, on this podcast, talked a few times about sequels that will not be named. This is one of them. Don't go watch. Watch the first one. Stop there. I know it's tempting. They're both on Amazon Prime. Do not watch Revelations. You will regret it. Strike Revelations' existence from your mind entirely. Silent Hill, the first one, got mixed to unfavorable reviews from critics. It holds a 31% on 100 uh, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and a 31 out of 100 on 21 reviews on Metacritic, with the consensus being that the film is visually impressive, but, quote, as with many video games adaptations, it is plagued with inane dialogue, a muddled plot, and an overlong runtime. And we're about to get into our general opinions, but I would say some of that is true, but some of that seems unfair to me. One of the actual criticisms here that I can see that I think actually holds up that uh, my partner actually Paul pointed out while watching it together last night was that a lot of the plot elements to this movie feel very video gamey in the sense of one character has to go here, pick up this item, go to another location, do another thing, go to another location, do another thing. And it's kind of that for a long time. And Yeah, I, and it's funny actually you mentioned that because I wrote a similar note where it almost seems like they were trying to make it seem like a video game. Like with the, you know, running through the streets, but even some of the cuts that they did, um, some of the views that, like the overhead view that they did a couple times, some zoom outs that they did, they were very video gamey. Um, and then once you like got about an hour in and the, the plot really picked up a little bit, they kind of went away from that. But it almost seems like, I don't know if they were trying to pay homage to it or like tap into that audience, whatever it was, but they did seem very... Um, focused on giving it that video game element and feel but moving on christian you know i know you've seen this movie before Rewatching it last night what was your take so i saw this movie when it first came out in theaters which at this point it being 2020 and came out in 2006 is quite depressing but at the time when i saw it i really liked it and watching it again now i liked it even more I will go as far as to say as I love this movie. I'm an unabashed fan of low to mid-budget horror movies, which this falls into the category of. It's not a perfect movie, and we're going to get into a lot of the reasons why, but overall, I love this movie. Here's a fun little tangent we're going to go on for 30 seconds, Christian. I meant to watch this movie last night, 
Um, and then I was watching a basketball game, the very end of it, I fell asleep um, on my couch. So I had to watch this movie at 6 o'clock in the morning this morning, which I don't know if you've ever started off your day watching a, a gruesome horror movie, but it's definitely a good, an interesting, I don't know if good's the right word, but an interesting mood setter. Um, but I liked this movie. This isn't like a great movie. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this should win awards or anything like that. Um, and in my opinion, having played the Silent Hill game, it definitely doesn't hold a candle to the game, right? They had to change a lot of stuff to make it into a movie, and it it doesn't really hold that same sort of feeling. Um, it's a little long, and we'll talk about my issues with some of the plot in a little while, but visually it's really good. Um, you know, there are CGI limitations, but it was 2006. But I spent the first half of the movie really invested in what was going on. Um, there are some flaws, but I thought this movie was a lot better than people gave it credit for. I think so, too. That's definitely the case here. I think this movie is very, very underrated. And another thing that I like about this movie a lot, it's actually a fun fact that you threw in here, was that Christoph Gans was, he's a huge fan of the series. This is the very definition of a passion project, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, and there's actually a review I want to read to you in a little while, but we'll get into it um, in the beauty Christian, let's go into the ACU, the Alternative Casting Universe. There was really just one um, in that was that Gans wanted Cameron Diaz to play Sybil Bennett, who is the role played by Laurie Holden of The Walking Dead fame. That would have been interesting. Um, I think, you know, we could talk about this later if you want, but Laurie Holden's performance in this is interesting, having watched her in The Walking Dead she really grew into being an, a very good actor in that show, and she's, oh, you know, chewing the fat a little bit here. I love the way you put that, that she's chewing fat here, because I love this character whom my girlfriend titled Hot Cop, and Hot Cop is awesome. She's a great character, but Hot Cop, not the best actor in this film. She's not really doing the best job but she is awesome. Yeah, she's uh, delivering lines very matter-of-factly. Um, and, like, her, the whole tone of her performance was set when she, like, strolled up to the car the first time we see her, like, really slowly and, like, trying to be nonchalant. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if that this was one of Holden's, like, first performances, but she was definitely... Um, not the smoothest actress in this movie. Christian, with Diaz being the only uh, member of the ACU right now, figured it'd be fun if we threw out some, you know, alternative ones that we could think of. Do you have any off the top of your head that you thought would be would be fun to have? So an alternate casting that I would try to make was, and this is no offense to Sean Bean because Sean Bean is a great actor, but I think we need someone who can do an American accent a little bit better because I don't know if you picked up on it, but his accent just was not working in this movie. It was very clear that he, that, that is an Englishman doing an English accent or doing an American accent. So I would probably go with someone who has either a natively American accent or is really, really good at it. So maybe someone like Kyle Chandler. I would pick Kyle Chandler. He is consistently a great dad figure in movies yeah no that's actually a, a really good a really good call um i only had one and this isn't really you know let me know your thoughts on this <clears throat> the only one i can think of was that for the uh police officer 
who is, sorry, not the police officer, the detective who is played by Kim Coates. I want that person recast as Nestor Carbonell. Do you know who Nestor Carbonell is? I actually don't. Nestor Carbonell is the guy who plays Mayor Anthony Garcia in The Dark Knight. Oh, okay. And the reason that I want him to play him is because that's who I thought it was all movie. And then I had to go back and be like, oh, that's not the same guy. They look like the same person to me. Like, you could just swap them out. Um, so that was the only one I could think of. That was the only one I could think of, and it was just confusion on my part. That's that's an instance right there of a false that guy. We talk about recognizable that guys in movies a lot. That's actually a little misdirected there. Another fan casting that I would do, if this movie were to be made today, I would be willing to put money down that... Millie Bobby Brown would play this character, or a few years ago when she was a little bit younger, I would have liked to see Millie Bobby Brown as the daughter character. She just seems like perfect for that type of role in a horror movie. Yeah, no, that that's actually a really good call. Uh, my only issue with that would be um, I've never actually heard Millie Bobby Brown try to do like a full speaking role in an American accent. Um, I've only seen, you know, Eleven doesn't really talk that much. And then everything else I've seen her in, she does her English accent. So I would wonder if she's any good at that. But she seems like the perfect fit uh, for this movie, actually, now that you said that. Wait, Millie Bobby Brown is English? I did not know that. Wait, did you actually not know that? (laughs) No, I swear, I had no idea. Oh, very English, my friend. That's the one theme through this show, is that we learn about the movies we're talking about as we talk about them. (laughs) All right. Christian, so that's all the alternative casting now that we've made that revelation um let's move into the bin um and i'll start us off with my main issue which is that i thought this movie needed to pick a lane and it never did there's a lot going on through the plot of this film that you're trying to follow um it kind of starts as like this like spooky town slow moving thing and then you know and i know it's part of the the plot mechanism but it just with literally a siren changes to this heart racing horror where these these awful creatures and you're being chased around and all this and they don't explain it for like almost ever like they kind of explain it at the end and if you're familiar with the game you kind of understand what's happening but they really never like give you the true explanation of it um and they don't tell you how they really ended up in the foggy dimension in the first place and then there's this like and I don't know if you know this, but there's the Sean Penn, uh, sorry, Sean Bean storyline going on, which the studio actually forced basically into the movie. They Gans originally wanted like the own just to be all females, um, and when he submitted the script, they came back and said there are no men, so they had to write in Sean Bean's character, and he was only supposed to be in the beginning and the end of movie. And then they had to expand his role and introduce the whole character of Thomas Gucci. So there was just a lot going on, and they never really did a great job at tying it together. And if you weren't familiar with some of the stuff that's going on in it, it was probably pretty easy to get lost. It definitely is. I have seen this movie before, and there's still some stuff I was confused on. I completely forgot until probably an hour in this movie that the main character, the daughter, was adopted. I just... The movie does not do a great job of explaining everything, and that's really tough in a movie like this because it's a convoluted story. It's not really set in our reality. There are elements that are very supernatural to this universe, but it 
just does not explain anything too well just the entire time and it can definitely be hard to follow yeah and what's what's interesting too and i I thought this movie probably ran like 15 to 20 minutes too long this is the cut that gans wanted us to see he said that the the studio didn't make him cut anything this is like the director's cut of this movie just went straight out and I was watching it, and I was like, yeah, this makes a ton of sense, actually, because there's just so much stuff where you could see, like, a director having the idea in his mind and then just not wanting to take it out because he feels like it's integral, but losing the fact that it wasn't communicated well. And then this is something that you noted, too. The plotting, of like, the pacing and everything of this movie is just all over the place. It's so difficult to, like, get into a rhythm of, all right, I can calm down. All right, I can spick back up. And, like, that's part of, like, the the horror movie sort of, like, trope, I guess, where it's, like, you can do a jump scare every now and then. But it's not, it's supposed to be a momentary thing that leads up to this big, like, horrific, scary, thrilling climax. It's not supposed to be five to ten minute intervals of just pure horror. And then we go back to Sean Bean looking through records and then walking through a town. It does feel very disjointed overall. And the pacing is a probably, in my opinion, the one of the biggest issues with this movie. I like the idea. I, I love conceptually the switching between really quiet, unsettling, and then absolute horror. That is wonderful and right up my alley. But it doesn't come off the best here because it just speeds up. It gets real crazy and you're rushing through all this excitement and all these monsters coming out. And then it's just dead slow for like another 20 minutes. And then it speeds up for 5 to 10 minutes and then grinds to a halt immediately. And it it just feels very, very disjointed. And like you were saying, they should have picked a lane and either doubled down on the quiet, unsettling loneliness of this movie. Or double down on the just absolute horror because... It is a little bit all over the place in that sense. I get what they were trying to do, too, because I think I saw it referred to in something as, like, the dark dimension, essentially. But it was the implication that 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 child character, Alyssa, could just summon this sort of, like, really dark reality around them whenever she wanted. But I feel like you could have built up to that and you could have teased it. It's just, like, you show up and... You're, you're already trying to figure out as the viewer what happened, why there's this fog, why there's ash, why the setting is completely different, and then some sirens blare, and then there's these awful creatures, and it's five minutes of just pulse-pounding adrenaline, and then there's another 20 minutes of just plodding along. And if you had, like, teased some of this, you had shown, like... Some other things happening, maybe like she avoids the the darkness the first time, you don't get to see what happens. There were so many ways you could have done it, but the fact that we just go stop, start, stop, start, when the true horror kicks in at around like 80 to 90 minutes, you almost are exhausted by that point from going through all this stuff in the first place, or just disinterested if you didn't like take to that the first time. I can imagine this movie being very confusing for someone who is not familiar with the Silent Hill games at all. Though I have not played any of them, I'm pretty well aware of like how the universe works, what this other dimension is, what type of monsters are in this universe, all that kind of stuff. But without background knowledge, I feel like this movie would be very tough to follow. Another fun fact I do want to mention here is that 
from what I understand, the director, like I said, was a huge fan of the series. This was a passion project for him. But he didn't really understand the way that the other world works when they're teleported there. He just didn't really get it. So I, from my understanding, basically, in the Japanese world, the gods ruling over Silent Hill, they have so much power and they kind of feed off the fear. So they're creating this reality within Silent Hill that people exist in, and it's directly influenced by the gods watching over that area. And in this movie, it's kind of just another dimension entirely, just a separate dimension, or it's limbo or something, but it doesn't really come across the right way. So in terms of adapting and understanding the original Japanese works about what Silent Hill is really supposed to be, he just didn't get it. Yeah, I mean, this definitely was a passion project for for Gaines. It took him like something like five years to obtain the rights, and he was given them after he sent Konami a video of like an interview describing how much Silent Hill meant to him. And there's there's like an internet rumor that he sent scenes with the interview that he filmed on his own dollar and cut up and overlaid music from the games to like prove how like passionate he was about it. Um, but if you're passionate, like, about the games and, like, you don't understand the lore from, like, the original, that can be, you know, a little difficult. But also, like, the stuff that he's trying to convey across, like, if you haven't played the video game, it's it's difficult to, like, understand. But a lot of the stuff that happens in the game is really difficult to adapt to a movie. Like, you you know, if we were, you know, let's take the, the gods and the original lore and everything like that, how long would that have taken to explain in a movie that's already two hours? So, you know, you have to make decisions there, but you also have to be calculated about how you make those decisions. You still have to convey some sort of sense and everything like that to all these things that are going on. And I think that's really the main sin of this movie is that you have all these interesting overlaying sort of things going on, but there's never really like that that through line that connects them all to make a lot of sense. And I think if, if that had happened, you could have gotten away with a little more than he did in terms of like the pacing, but it just seems like this movie is all over the place throughout basically the entire thing. It definitely is, and this reminds me of another thing that you were saying there, that him being such a big fan of this movie, sometimes that's not a good thing for creating media. It's good to like the media that you're creating, but it's tough when you're really, really, really passionate about something because your vision's a little bit skewed on it. You don't see it the way that an audience member seeing this for the first time would see it. If you're a really, really big fan of something, you might think that these plot points are necessary and there needs to be this in it and there needs to be this in it, but in reality it doesn't. And it just feels like really, really crammed. And I understand why he chose to make a lot of the decisions he did making this movie. The problem is that I think his understanding of it is a little skewed and I don't think he's really kind of understanding that audiences are not really familiar with this universe and it's inherently confusing if there's anything i know about the silent hill games is that they are is they're not known for their simple easy to follow plot like they are complex convoluted confusing mysteries and 
He's doing his best, but it's inherently a hard thing to adapt. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, let's move quickly into the acting in this movie because whew, um, some, some of these uh, actors weren't giving what I would say is their finest performances in this film. No, they're not at all. Notably... The entire cast, actually. I, I can't even say notably, because no one's no one's doing a good job here. Sean Bean, he's trying his best. Like I said, he's giving his all in this movie, but Sean Bean, man, he just could not do an American accent in this movie. There's a lot of points where he's kind of... He's doing that thing where you have to talk, but you don't really want anyone to hear you, so there's a lot of lines where he's delivering it like, yeah... I don't really know where they went. I just kind of feel like my daughter and uh, wife are lost. And it's like, Sean Bean, dude, what are you saying? So that right there is a big knock, but no one else's. I mean, the daughter, she's not grading, giving a great performance. The main lead, she's not really giving a great performance. Just across the board, it just really seemed like no one really was trying their best here. I've probably never watched a movie and definitely never watched a movie on this podcast where I didn't know as much of this cast. Like, I basically was, was looking up who was in this movie and knew, like, three names in the entire cast. So, you know, I think there's a reason that, you know, bl blockbuster actors become blockbuster actors, right? You know, that they can do multiple genres and stuff like this. Sean Bean is, like, the definition of, like, of, like, a, like a bit guy to me. Like, you can give him a, a role or something like that, but he can't, like, carry the emotional part of your movie in my opinion and that's what he, all he was asked to do here was to be the the guy who developed who undercover you know found out this really emotional backstory and you're supposed to get it through him and he's trying to like muffle his voice and then he also randomly just starts like screaming a couple times like do you remember the phone call where he's in the car asking the woman for the police records and he starts off by going, hi, yes, I, I, I want to see some records. And they say, what records? And he says, the police records. And they say, those are confidential. We can't give those to you. Because of course they are. They're police records. And then he just starts berating this woman on the other side of the 411 saying, you don't understand. You can't help me. And then just hangs up the phone. Like, Sean, what, what was that? I don't... It was just some interesting choices. And then like we mentioned... Laurie Holden, thank you for your performances uh, in The Walking Dead. I really enjoyed that character and her progression. I did not enjoy your performance here. Um, well, I enjoyed it because I enjoy overacting, but I'm familiar with the fact that it's not the best performance. She didn't seem natural in the role at all. Everything seemed very canned and delivered. Um, the only person who I thought was... Um, okay in their role was Mitchell, the you know, Rada Mitchell, the main character. But even her, I, I had some points where I was like, she's really like overselling the emotion that she's supposed to be conveying here. Yeah. She's I I love this character. Hot Cop was my favorite character in this movie. I'm gonna keep referring to her as Hot Cop. <laughs> but she's easily my favorite here, but her acting is just not great overall. And it's glaringly obvious from immediately starting and i don't think a lot of people are giving great performances here like i said but notably she is definitely not i'm telling you man just go back after we do this and watch her saunter up to that minivan in the beginning and it just sets the tone for for her performance it's it's very it's very caked on it would be it would be 
like in place to put that performance bit for bit into like a parody of this movie. Like it's just she's laying it on so hard, but I do want to move into the beauty. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on in the bin? No, that is it. Go ahead and move us right into that beauty. All right, my friend. Speaking of beauty, the setting and atmosphere of this movie is as spot on as I could have hoped for. So the iconic thing about Silent Hill is that the video game is that foggy atmosphere, which actually, you know, and and this is a pretty well-known fact, so I might be recycling this to a lot of people, but... It comes across because this was a really early video game in, like, you know, 3D games. Like, it was a PlayStation 1 game, and they had a lot of technical limitations. So they couldn't render far enough out for you to have a backdrop and all this stuff that they wanted. So they put all this fog in and then just put it into, like, the elements of the town... And then used that to have all these, like, spook scares and stuff like that in the movie. And it played off really well. And it's just, like, a really unsettling town to walk around in the game. It really puts you on edge. And I thought they were going to mess that up. Like, I was almost, like, 100% confident it wasn't going to come across like that. And then she gets out of the car after the crash. And the ash is falling. And they do, like, a pan out. And you can, like, see her up against it. And I was just immediately, like, leaned forward. Like, they did such a good job with that. That is the number one thing that I love about this movie. Is that the atmosphere is just spot on. And it's consistently spot on. I know we were talking about the pacing being off. But the atmosphere is right there. Right from the get. The entire thing is unsettling. The sense of just loneliness and unnerving and the fact that anyone could be watching her but she's also completely alone when the town is covered in ash is amazing and even when she switches over and everything goes all crazy it just it just looks so scary and just looks like somewhere you don't want to be and just it's not even that this movie needs to show anything or have any jump scares that get you in any way but just it's just really 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 just kind of just off it's just off enough where you kind of feel like wait what what is happening here and i love that about this movie and like you were saying the effects in this movie somehow hold up amazingly don't get me wrong not all of them are great this movie did come out in 2006 so of course they're not as good as if it came out today but what we got is just amazing i mean it just looks so good it still looks scary and even if it's not amazing there we're working with a budget of 50 million i think iron man had to look had to have at least a budget of double that and that movie this movie looks almost as good as that and that's like a major motion picture so that's incredible especially coming from a mid to low budget horror movie you just don't see that kind of quality put into something so i just really really loved everything in this movie and how it looked yeah that that was my main thing about visually i thought this movie could come out today and i probably wouldn't bat an eye there were a couple moments where i saw some cgi and i was like yeah that's 2006 cgi right but the main part that you said they spent about 50 million dollars on this movie if you spent 50 million dollars on a movie now and it came out looking like this you'd be applauded for the extreme lengths you went to to pull it off. Like, the fact that this movie... I literally think you could put it on, like, TV right now and tell people it came out in, like, 2018, and they'd be like, oh, that makes sense. Like, it's it's so... 
I don't know how they did any of these, like, and maybe I don't want to know, but any of these, like, really gruesome scenes that they put in. Like, do you remember that creature that crawls out that, like, has, is sort of, like, inverted? Like, his, like, I can't remember exactly, but his, like, feet are behind his head and he's, like, crawling himself out of, like, a corner? Like, that looked like... Yeah, I, I love that. That looked like they just tied that guy up and put some makeup on him and were like, go for it. Like, they have that, um, you know, who ends up being the janitor in the stall tied up in the barbed wire. That, like, when she opened the door and saw that, that looked legit. Like, they looked like they just tied a guy up there. Like, the those in modern-day sci-fi movies that you would see wouldn't look that good. And, like, the pyramid head, like, the, the, that guy is just in a costume with a lot of makeup on. Like, I think I saw something, like, he had to wear 15-inch heels to make him look 7 foot tall. But... You know, like, they obviously just threw something on him with a lot of makeup and said, go out there and do it. And that's, like, the only way you can get this sort of stuff to hold up. And I applaud the fact that they went to those lengths because, you know, we're sitting here, what, almost 15 years later? And we're still saying that this movie is just visually amazing. That's one of the advantages of using practical effects in your movies or blending it with CGI is that it just holds up so much better. I'm all for using CGI in movies. I don't really love when people say, oh, but CGI is so easy to make. I wish they just made it practical, and this just seems like they're just taking shortcuts. The reality is CGI takes an extreme amount of work to do, and I consistently applaud everyone who works on the visual effects for movies, but special effects age so much better, and this movie blends them together so consistently, like... That guy who's bent over backwards, like you were saying, it's just a dude in a costume. Pyramid Head is just a dude in a costume. All the nurses are dancers who are contorting their body in makeup to look like they are these just coming to life dead vessels. And it just all works so well. And another effect that I love in this movie that they did again and again was when it would transition to the Silent Hill. I loved the noise motif of the alarm going off it's one of those things that when that alarm starts starts blaring you know something's going down it's about to get real crazy so you kind of are looking out for that sound and i love that and then you see all the stuff kind of peeling off the walls they're being replaced with blood and now it looks like this extreme foundry with all these just creatures coming out of every corner and you just see it shift, and it looks so seamless while it's shifting, and that's amazing. That seems like such a hard thing to pull off visually, and they just nailed it here. Yeah, and what's what's cool about that, too, is, like, the, the main CGI that we saw in this movie is the stuff with the transitions where, like, the walls are peeling off and the floor is disappearing, but all that stuff is just so, it's so simple, right? Like, it's a very easy thing to do in CGI, so it didn't age poorly so it's if you were to do that today it would probably still look basically exactly the same as it looked then and all of this like stuff ties together in a way where you don't get taken out of the mood ever during this movie like some things happen where you're like what what is happening and it makes you like kind of question some stuff about the plot but at no point in this movie a lot of times what happens when i watch like horror movies or you know movies that were panned is stuff will happen and it'll just take me out of the mood where like I'll be watching a horror movie and something will happen and it'll make me laugh because it's like that CGI was awful or that was terrible or this and that 
And this movie never had that. You were immersed from the second she comes out of that car and the creature comes towards her through the fence. Everything is just so well done visually that you're stuck in that environment. You never get a chance to to come out because something was bad or you wanted to laugh or you wanted to comment on how something looked or something like that. You're tied into this environment and when stuff starts going down, it affects you more because you have just been, you know, been the witness of all this stuff for 60 minutes straight. Um, so I thought that was a, a really, really, you know, incredible, incredible feat that they were able to pull off. That's one thing this movie does well. And this is a problem that good movies have, that really well-received movies have, is being tonally consistent from start to finish. You see this in Star Wars, for example. Obviously, one of both of our favorite franchises. But sometimes it takes you out of the movie when you're watching it and it's all the serious stuff happening, and out of nowhere, BB-8 makes a really cute and silly noise, and it reminds you, oh yeah, I'm watching something that's fake. But in this movie, every single scene feels like it belongs in this movie, even the scenes with Sean Bean trying to figure out what's going on, the way things are shot, the color choices they use, how he's delivering lines, the fact that it all takes place at night in his scenes. It all just works so well, and it just seems like such a good through line throughout this entire movie. No, you're 100% right. One thing I wanted to touch on um, is the plot of this movie because the plot and the adaptation of this video game got trashed by a lot of critics and one I wanted to call out in particular and it's going to lead us into a conversation was that Nathan Lee of the New York Times wrote uh, at the end of his review the movie, quote, wraps up like the outrageously overwrought fantasy of a movie nerd obsessed with horror who has been given obscene amounts of money to adapt his favorite video game, end quote. Well, first off, Nathan, um, Smurf you. I use Smurf to substitute um, various curse words throughout my life. So, Nathan, Smurf you. Um, you're pretentious, I can already tell. But secondly, I did want to... Um, talk about this movie comes out in 2006 so i'm 15 video game culture in 2006 is not what it is today where it's like generally accepted that like i think we're still having the conversation in 2006 if i'm right where we think violent video games make people like more violent like that was like the main headline back then we, we were talking about does grand theft auto lead to mass murdering um <clears throat> So I think this movie gets somewhat of a bad rap because I don't think people were willing to accept that video games in 2006 and before could have dynamic plots that you'd be invested in. I think people saw Silent Hill as an adaptation of a video game and were like, oh god, and rolled their eyes. And then when they saw it, that's the mindset they went in with. So when you had this, you know, albeit confusing plot, they weren't willing to work it out at all they weren't willing to sit down and dive into it and immerse themselves in the world because they came in with this mindset of uh it's a video game and we don't accept video games in this culture yet no definitely not and at the time video games movies were widely panned i mean in 2006 we weren't even to the height of adaptation of even superhero movies yet superhero movies were still largely bad this movie, video game adaptations, up until then, they were all awful. Just extremely, extremely bad. The Resident Evil movies are much worse than this. And I love the Resident Evil franchise, but those movies are just terrible. 
this movie's great. It's doing its best. It's a comp. It's adapting something that is very hard to adapt. And though it's not perfect, and though some elements are confusing, it does a pretty good job. Yeah. Just trying to take something that is inherently abstract and turn it into at least mostly comprehensible movie is an accomplishment all on its own. Yeah, I mean, think about how much time you spend playing video games, right? Like, Christian, me and you are both fans of, like, the Dark Souls, Bloodborne, Demon Souls franchise. You could play those games for 50, 60, 70 hours, right? Like, and still be experiencing new things. Silent Hill was groundbreaking in the fact that it had alternative endings and dynamic choices by the player that impacted what happened with the game that's stuff we still do nowadays that's stuff that games like heavy rain and detroit become human and all this stuff are still doing that are considered revolutionary silent hill was doing that in 1999 so this game is jam-packed with stuff to explore and uncover and it's just hours and hours of of ip and then they try and take it and put it into a two-hour movie, right? Like, stuff is going to get misconstrued. And like I said, it's on the director to decide what gets cut and decide what gets limited. And I don't know if he did a great job of that. But also, like, I followed the movie pretty much fine. I came out with a couple questions about this and that. But you know what? I also saw Tenet the other day, and I came out with a couple questions about how plot worked there. And that was a movie that's, you know, widely regarded as fantastic. So... You know, I think that people came into this with with some negative imagery of what video games and video game plots and video game culture was, and they let it impact a lot of their opinions on this movie. Like, to me, this movie boils down to a horror movie. It's the supernatural actions of a cult, right? I watched a movie on Netflix last year called Eli. The whole plot of the movie is that he's the son of the devil, and his mom willingly agreed to give birth to Satan's son because she couldn't have a kid. And now the, it's the negative repercussions of that. That plot, to me, is nowhere near as interesting, as in-depth, as anything as Silent Hills was. And we're talking a difference of 13 years. Yeah. And, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about a, like you said, a groundbreaking genre that has effects that are still seen in gamings today. Take anything like Evil Within. That game was directly influenced by this. When Playable Trailer came out, though that's not even a full game, it's literally a few minutes long, the fact that that, inspiring things like that that are amazing works, having huge, huge effects and influence on Resident Evil and pretty much all modern horror is incredible for someone to pull off. And the fact that even this movie had an influence on the way that the Silent Hill franchise went over this and they took elements and incorporated it and had like a little bit different Americanized interpretation of this other world and all that stuff is just like really, really cool. And I can't think of a lot of other video game adaptations that actually have effects on its original medium and also still have like so much cultural significance just in general. So I think all of that is just awesome. I also want to say before we move into the cell, that the soundtrack to this movie is just unbelievable. If the atmosphere is my first favorite thing about the movie, the soundtrack is a very close second. It's just gorgeous from top to bottom. Every single song in this movie, to me, is iconic. I've heard it multiple times. Songs came on in this movie that I forgot were from this movie, and I remembered, oh my god, I love that song. I've 
listen to that maybe a week ago. And I think that is just like, again, such an incredible feat. Yeah, I've talked about this a lot off-pod, and I'll, I'll bring it on-pod. I think video game soundtracks, and the reason I bring that up is because so you can hear Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash for like a couple seconds. Every other piece of music in this movie is directly taken from the game series. So every single piece of background music you hear is video game soundtrack. And the reason I bring this up is because video game soundtracks are some of the most underrated art that there is in modern day. Think about what like you're not paying attention to the sound in the background right so it has to be like in the back enough and you know non-iconic enough where where you can just have it playing and it doesn't distract you because you're focusing on a test but it also has to set atmosphere right it has to like get you in a certain mindset in a certain mood while you're doing this so it has so much to do but really it has to lay in the background and do it and not be stand out and I, I noted that because I, I knew this fact coming into the movie, but a lot of the times what happens when we watch these movies is that I notice, like, the soundtrack there was really great. The soundtrack here was really bad. This stood out. That stood out. This just blended so perfectly the only time where I've even noticed that, like, music had raised or lowered apropos to whatever was happening was the scene right outside the church when the darkness is coming and they're trying to decide if they go in the church or not. That was the only time when everything else just blends so perfectly with the atmosphere and the action and the characters that I didn't even take time to notice that it was happening. And to me, that's, like, the greatest thing you can do with this sort of background music is that it set the tone so well that it wasn't even a factor in my mind until I thought about it. That is, I, I agree completely. I mean, that's exactly what good music does. I mean, I noticed it, but again, only because I loved the soundtrack so much. But like you're saying, video game music is such a tough thing to pull off because you need to find something that you can hear sounds good and sets the tone for what you're doing but you also need to make sure it's not overbearing it's not overpowering it's not drowning out anything that's happening within that world and oftentimes in movies songs they play a song and then they transition to the next song and then they transition to the next song and that's how a soundtrack works typically but in a video game sometimes you'll be in one area for six hours so you need to make sure a song that is normally three minutes is loopable for several hours on end and is consistently engaging so that when you hear it for the ninth time, you don't tell yourself, oh my god, I just cannot believe I'm hearing this song again. So video game music's just an art in its own, and this movie utilizes it so well in every scene. Yeah, it's it's they do so many things in this movie so well. It just harkens me back to the fact that I saw Roger Ebert put this on his most hated list and gave the film one and a half stars. Roger, you're incorrect, my friend. I don't know. You're, you're right about a lot, but you're not right about this one. No, not at all. All right. Well, Connor, I think that this is a perfect time to move into the cell. Yes. Let's do, let's process some transactions, Christian. If you totally remove the video game from this movie and just judge it on its own merits and you like horror movies 
you will like watching this movie. I say that with the utmost confidence. To me, I'm not the biggest fan of horror movies. So when I came into this movie, I tried to put away the fact that I'm a Silent Hill video game fan, right? Like I just said, completely remove that, don't compare it, let's take it on its own merit. And I'm not the biggest horror movie guy, right? Like, I feel like horror fans fall into like two real buckets. It's like you kind of live that, you know, dating Gonzalez spooky boy all year round lifestyle, and this is just what you're into. Or, like, you just enjoy the rush and thrill of getting scared, and I'm kind of like a tepid guy, I don't really have, like, a lot of emotional roller coasters. so, like, to me, I just watch horror movies and they, you know, they are what they are to me. I liked this movie. This movie is a good movie. In 2020, this movie comes out on, like, Netflix or Hulu, it's got some nicer dressing up. It they maybe they streamlined the plot a little bit. And I guarantee you it spends a month in like the trending ten. Like I said, that Eli movie last year was the top movie on Netflix for like two weeks. This movie does so many things so well. And it does do a lot of like the horror movie tropes. There's religious imagery imagery all over the place overlaying the actions of the cult in the movie. There are some jump scares. But you know, it's the games, the video game setting and plot translated into this medium came across so much better than I was expecting. And like I said, if you just take out the fact that you're comparing it to an iconic video game, this is a movie where you're going to sit down and get lost in this sort of environment that they put you in. And you're going to be on edge listening to what's happening and trying to figure out what's going on. And then you know, the end is just a horror movie ending. It's true gore and gruesome and horrifying and terrifying to watch the end of this movie. And I just feel like if you like horror movies, sit down and give this movie a chance if you haven't, because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you find. I agree with you completely. And I think that a lot of people who fall into that first category of horror movies that you said that this is just who they are, I fall into that category. I'll, I watch horror movies all year round. I love bad horror movies. I mean, this is this is a perfect example of if anyone thinks that the effects here are bad, in terms of horror movies, the effects here are amazing. And the acting here is better than a lot of low-budget horror movies because two common things about low-budget horror movies is that everything looks terrible and the acting is just embarrassingly bad and though some of the stuff here is not great it is so much better than a lot of horror movies that i've seen and that shows you can tell the person who made this movie really really cares about making this movie it's incredibly underrated this movie deserves way much more attention this movie in my opinion i think falls into that category of cult classic i've talked about this movie with several people who have seen it and all of them say they really, really, really enjoy this movie. My girlfriend, in fact, this is probably her favorite horror movie, if not one of her top favorite movies ever. So there is a following for this movie. It just really sucks that when it came out, it was very poorly received, and that it got a sequel that even further tarnished its name, that it's extremely bad. But this movie alone is just incredible what it's setting out to do, and the fact that it accomplishes it to the extent that it does. Yeah, I feel like this movie is damned by its sequel. Because this is a movie where I feel like a lot of people... 
around our age would go back and watch this movie and it would gain that sort of like cult classic steam that a lot of movies that were, I don't know if this movie's misunderstood in its time, but a lot of movies that weren't appreciated in its time end up getting, you know, 15 to 20 years later when things start to come full circle on them. I just don't think, A, this movie is, like, high profile enough for that. Like I said, the the casting, it, it's not like you'll find this movie in, like, early Brad Pitt days or something like that. Like, the casting doesn't really call you back to it. Silent Hill's kind of lost its sort of place in modern gaming. And, you know, the sequel of this movie is just trash, right? So, like, it kind of killed its momentum. But... If people would go back and give this movie a chance, I feel like you'd find out that it's a lot better than you thought it was. You look a lot better than you thought it was going to be. This is one of the movies where I watched, we watched on this podcast, and it's one of the rare movies that I can look back and say, like, people really missed the mark on this movie. Like, I often understand where people are coming from when they criticize movies and try and find, like, the silver lining in them or see, like, the good side. I just think this is a good movie, and I think a lot of people missed the mark when they were talking about it i agree with you completely this is in my opinion one of those movies that just completely received just very unfair criticism i had very little negative to say about this movie normally when we're watching these movies i'm taking notes constantly i'm top to bottom writing things down putting things in my notes trying to make sure i catch every little thing that i want to make sure i mention not here i watch this movie through and through and every time i thought Man, I just, I need to think of some negatives to say, or this movie's going to be an hour of me talking about how much I loved it, which it has been, but that just speaks to, like, the stuff that's going on here. I mean, this has not happened yet on this podcast, and this is the first time that I can honestly say I'm happy I went back and rewatched this movie. I am very, very happy I went back and saw this again, so if you didn't see it at the time, or you saw it and forgot about it, Go back and watch this movie immediately. I think that this movie holds up so much better than I ever would have expected. Christian, let's talk about the movies, sorry, the video games that were out in 1999. Because I really want to talk about how big of a feat it is to even pull this movie off as successfully as it was. So I'm going to run through some of the top movie, top video games in 1999, and you tell me which one would have been a better movie adaptation. Are you ready? Donkey Kong 64. System Shock 2, Crash Team Racing, Age of Empires, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Ape Escape, Grand Theft Auto 2, Rayman 2, Half-Life Counter-Strike, Resident Evil 3, we've seen that one, it's not as good, Driver, Spyro 2, Ripto's Rage, Pokemon Snap, Beetle Adventure Racing, which yes, is a Volkswagen Beetle game, and Roller Coaster Tycoon. I think you could maybe make the argument that Half-Life would have been somewhere near as good. We saw Resident Evil wasn't as good. It just highlights to me the fact that they took this completely different IP, and if you look at what was coming out around 1999, the fact that you spun this into a successful movie is just a feat in and of itself. Connor, I do want to say that... I'm a little bit offended that you don't want to see a Donkey Kong 64 live-action, AAA, big-budget, summer blockbuster movie, because 
there's nothing more I decide I've desired in my entire life than a Donkey Kong live action adaptation. Christian, have you seen the Mario Brothers live adaptation? Oof, mate. <laughs> that that's another one of those will not be named on this podcast because that is a tough watch. Yeah. So maybe Donkey Kong ends up getting good, but also the only uni- the thing from the universe that I've seen in a movie from that is the Mario Brothers. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it with a grain of salt. Um, I would, however, love to see someone try to adapt Ape Escape. So if anyone, if a major movie wants to call us, I'm here to try and adapt Ape Escape for you. That'll be my breaking into the movie business, Christian. Let's move into the final question, my friend. Okay. All right. So this week's final question is, if Silent Hill were to receive a reboot today featuring a large, pretty successful, high-profile director, who would you choose to do it? All right. So the obvious answer here, right, is Guillermo del Toro, right? Like, he's the he's he's the horror master, right? Like... there's no one who you're going to task with this and not sit there and say it's going to be the best movie if he does it there's a couple people who I want to call out um, just because I'd be interested in seeing what sort of thing they put forward Um, like you could do like Spielberg and it would be like really large and you know really good looking and larger than life but I want to see Christopher Nolan put his spin on this. A, because I love Christopher Nolan. But B, because he's also a guy who works in what's around him, right? He's not a big CGI guy. Famously flipped that truck in the Dark Knight. Um, he's a guy who, you know, will keep this sort of, like, atmosphere. He'll keep everything grounded. Um, so I think the movie wouldn't lose a lot of that, that it does really well that we talked about. But also, B, Christopher Nolan is not afraid to put out a three-hour three movie and make you watch it because it's so good. Um, like, Tenant's two and a half hours, and I watched that last week, and I could have watched it again right afterwards. Um, so I think if you go with someone like Nolan, you get the ability to, like, expand it out. Um, he could really incorporate a lot of the stuff that, you know, we were missing from this. A lot of the explanations, you know, would be tied together. So I think he would do a really good job of it. Um, and the only other one I want to call out is Quentin Tarantino, because this movie would be wild with Quentin Tarantino doing it. I don't know if it'd be good or bad, but it would be insane, and I'd like to watch it. Yeah, those are great choices. I especially love the Christopher Nolan, just because he loves playing in different genres, and I don't think he's ever done a true through-and-through horror movie. But I would love to see that. I think he would do such a good job. Quentin Tarantino, too. He's very, very talented. And I know he's talked for a long time about doing a horror movie. And I, again, would absolutely love to see that. I think that they both have such an appreciation for special effects that they would just be able to nail it. Like we said, the obvious choice is Guillermo del Toro. I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. This movie is... 110% his style. I'm actually surprised that he's never considered it. Unless he has, we could be dead wrong. I did no research for this movie. You are famously the research guy. But another director that I would love to see take this movie on, and it's a little bit, he's not as prominent anymore, but I think that he would probably do a great job is David Cronenberg. Are you familiar with him? Uh, 
The name sounds familiar, but not anything off the top of my head. David Cronenberg is famous for making movies such as The Fly or Videodrone. Just these very, very, very disgusting body horror focused movies of people turning into monsters and just coming up with the only thing I can describe as grotesque designs. His just the, the way he designed some of the creatures in all of his movies is just so disgusting. The fly is just it, it's putrid. It, it's like it's on another level of just gross and that came out years before this. So I would love to see someone like that who is known for making just these really, really, really gross and very off-putting creatures tackle something like this, where there is just so much imagery that's gross and disgusting, and I would love to see him make the nurses, make those weird crawling babies that are made out of, like, cinders, all that stuff. I think he would just make something truly truly unpleasant to watch in the best way yeah no that's actually a really good shout because as soon as you said the fly i was like oh that would have been because th- i think that movie came out in like what 86 or something like that um like it's it's really like before i was even born um and that movie is just horrifying to watch in a good way so the stuff that he could have done with um like the creatures and everything like that would have been great. I'm looking through Cronenberg's stuff um, right now, like his recent stuff, and he's kind of gotten away from that. Like he's been doing a lot more like drama sort of stuff since the 2000s. So I think that would be a really good call too, because it's almost like you'd get to kind of go back to the roots sort of thing. And I feel like when you get a director who hasn't done something in a long time and gets to like dabble in that world again, they they tend to bring out kind of like all the big guns, for lack of a better term, because it's almost like a prove yourself, like, I, I get to show that I can still do this sort of thing. So seeing him do that for the first time in, like, 20 years would be would be really, really cool. Yeah, I, I, I think that too, and that's definitely a good observation of David Cronenberg's work. He's definitely moved away from that since then. But if anything, what that tells me is that he's developed as a writer. He is able to do more stuff. He's able to do more drama, more serious things that are unnerving in a completely different way where he could make something that is kind of just sick from like a human perspective and i think like both of those elements are needed here because the thing about silent hill is that it's not monsters 100 percent of the time a lot of stuff like we see here is the result of kind of really gross human actions and you see things take place that are not even necessarily supernatural but are just like gross to watch and I think that he could probably walk that line very well. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. It's because, like, you know, you feel like this movie's supernatural because of, like, the dimensional cuts and stuff like that. But it's true horror is grounded in the imagery that you have to watch. Like, those scenes at the end with the barbed wire in the church are literally made me, like, squirm once or twice while they were happening. Um, especially with the, the woman whose name I can't remember getting ripped in half. So, you know, I can only imagine what, what Cronenberg could do with stuff, with something like that. Um, just to, you know, tie a bow on this, I did want to ask you, because it just occurred to me, how long do you think a Christopher Nolan adaptation of Silent Hill would be? Do you think he could push it to four hours? I mean, yeah, I would be surprised if he didn't. I think that he would probably make one of those just 
epics. This movie would be like f at least four hours long, just through and through, just really, really diving into it. But hey, I mean, Silent Hill is one of those properties that it has the content to support something like that. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. I feel like this is something that if Nolan started, he would like end up with this like five and a half hour movie and the studio would be like all right you got to cut that down he'd be like i can't that's just how it's going out so I, I appreciate the fact that he's not willing to compromise on stuff like that so i do think we'd get this like really really long movie they'd probably have to put an intermission in the middle of it um but christian i think that's everything my friend that is everything i just want to leave everyone with one final note and one final sell on this movie and it's that I don't think anywhere else in cinema you're going to get a seven-foot-tall man named Pyramid Head. And if you're a fan of that kind of thing in your horror movie, just go see this movie. And also, to tie a bow on that, I think Pyramid Head could beat Thanos. Christian, they can follow us on at Bad Movie Journal on Twitter. I'm at Captain Redbeard 7 CPT Redbeard 7 You're at that pop on the twitters come interact with us ask us questions my friend it's been a pleasure and as always i would like you to stay frosty stay frosty as well connor just go see this movie